Well, we're continuing our fall sermon series uh, in the letter of Colossians. It's called Rooted, uh, kind of playing off one of the verses from that letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae where he said, uh, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. So we're talking about being, about being rooted in, in Christ. A uh, really quick summary of last week, Colossae was something of a has-been town. Uh, back in their day, the highway was moved from passing, major north-south highway, from passing through Colossae to passing through Laodicea. Uh, so Colossae was on the decline. It had seen its heyday, that was in the past. Said one historian, Colossae was the least important church to which any epistle of St. Paul was written. So it's kind of a backwater town in the day that Paul wrote. So why do we have this letter in our, in our Bibles? Like what's, what's so important about this? Because the Colossians were confronting a danger faced by all Christians from all times across all cultures. And it's massively important. That's why Paul wrote this letter. That's why we have it. See, the danger is that we might hear the gospel and either knowingly or unknowingly add some stuff to it so that what we're actually believing in our hearts and minds and spirits is something that's not rooted and built up in Christ alone, but in some of the, the narratives that our world gives us, the culture around us, uh, something like that. Basically, Paul's saying, look, when you live in this world, there will be a million ideas swirling around in the air. And you will be tempted not just to think about them, but you will be tempted to give your allegiance to them, to begin believing them, and you'll add them to your faith in Jesus. Don't do that, he says. You've got to fight that fight all the time. So that's the quick summary of last week. We turn to Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 23 today, uh, where Paul looks at who Jesus is, if we're going to be rooted in Christ, we need to know who he is, what he did, and what that means for us. So let's listen to the scripture. Listen to these words from Colossians. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish 
and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Greg. So a real simple outline for the message today. Uh, All but the last heading are phrases taken directly from the text that we just read. Here they are. The Son is... Once you were, but now he has, and you are. So there you go. You can preach your own sermon, right? <laughs> um, so after you know, greeting the Colossians and the beginning part of the letter, you know, you've got to stay rooted in Christ. Uh, Paul turns to who Jesus is. The Son is. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I mean, who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. This this verse we read today in Colossians sons the image of the invisible God and other verses in the scripture have led Christians to a very simple statement which has endured the ages. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. It'll, it'll help you when you're in the valley and you're wondering where is God, what in the world is going on. It's okay to wonder those things, right? A third of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. Where are you, God? What's going on? Why this? What? You, you know, in our partnership with, with Family Promise, we connect with families, many of whom are experiencing the valley in a major housing transition. And just what's going on, God? I don't understand. You know, super helpful to be able to say, if I, if I really want to know what God is like, because I'm kind of wondering about God right now, I look at Jesus. Through the Gospels, we can read about Jesus' life, right? Understand what he claimed about himself, ponder the way he engaged with people, consider the way he used words, observe him in a variety of emotional states. We can study Jesus. And when we study Jesus, we're studying God. When we're learning about Jesus, we're learning about God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Or in Hebrews, it's put this way. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Wow! We have a person to whom we can look who is the exact representation of God. Jesus just said it plain. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You know, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The, uh, the, the word in the original Bible language translated image is the Greek word icon, uh, we, we get our, our English word, I-C-O-N. In Greek, it's E-I-K-O-N. Um, 
but that, that word refers to uh, something that looks like or represents something else. The, the most frequent use of that word in, uh, in biblical Greek refers to idols. You know, images of false gods. I mean, think Aaron and the golden calf, right? Human beings in their broken state are very much prone to searching out some kind of visual representation of religion or spirituality, some explanation as to what in the world is actually going on in this life I'm experiencing. Because I need something. And what Paul is saying here is, hey, you don't have to buy the knockoff Rolex. We've got the real thing. We have the exact representation of God, the image of the invisible God. You don't need any other icons. We've got the real thing. You don't have to settle. You know, in this, in this confusing, hectic, human effort to make our way to God, because, by the way, that's what I understand all religion and spiritual philosophy to be. Human beings trying to find their way to God, doing all sorts of things, be it a temple in India with the, the, the fat sacrifices, be it the path of Buddhism or, you know, whatever. A new age movement. Human beings trying to find their way. The whole point is right in the midst of that scurry of endless activity, God showed up in person and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So at the point of our greatest need, in the midst of our deepest hopelessness, God arrived in person. Didn't send a messenger, didn't write a note, came to us in person. The sun is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The sun is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. That does not mean that Jesus was like the firstborn of creation as if Jesus was a created being. He's the firstborn over all creation, not of all creation. This refers to the supremacy of Jesus over all creation, as, as the passage goes on to describe. For, which can be read because in this context, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The son is the firstborn over all creation because in him all things were created. Don't miss the prepositions in that passage. All things were created in him, through him, and for him. And so Jesus is supreme over all of creation. A, a quick thought about the for part. You know, all things, including you and me, were created for Jesus. I'm really dating myself here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cite a Saturday Night Live skit from way back, like when Dana Carvey was on the show. So some of you, I actually searched for this. I couldn't find the exact skit, but as I recall, Dana Carvey and one other person from the show were playing kind of like California surf dudes, and one was accusing Dana Carvey of being a sellout, like, dude, dude, you're such a sellout. 
Dana Carvey's over and he says, no way, man, I'm no sellout. I don't belong to anybody. And he turns to face the camera and his sweatshirt says, property of San Diego State University. (laughs) It just struck me as so funny. I don't belong to anybody. We like to think that we don't belong to anybody. We like to think that we're the captains of our own ships, that we're on the top of the important scale with regard to our life, that we're our own people. That is not true. Doesn't matter whether you've really grappled with whether it's true or not. The fact is, that is not true. Says the apostle in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Talk about flipping the script on consumer Christianity. If you're coming to a service like this thinking Jesus is here for you, you've got it all wrong. You are here for Jesus. We exist for God. And and the description of who the Son is continues in Paul's letter to the Colossians. He is, the Son is, before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In, in all things, in him all things hold together. I've always been struck by that passage. And not long ago, I found a wonderful little book by John Lennox, a now retired Oxford mathematician, a, a British guy, wonderful apologist for the faith. He wrote a little book, Can Science Explain Everything? I commend it to you. In that book, he poses a simple question. What does the law of gravity explain? Can you answer that? Let's just make it like we're talking. No no social pressure of a large group. But what what does the law of gravity explain? Okay, that's not working. (laughs) You might think that the law of gravity explains gravity. Kind of no-brainer, right? But it doesn't. The law of gravity explains the effects of gravity. Nobody anywhere can explain gravity. Not the greatest physicist in the world. Nobody knows what it is. Nor do we know why it is. We just know what it does, the effect it causes. And that is what the law of gravity explains. I've always had this wondering, and it's just me wondering, but I kind of wonder if in him all things hold together, if, if that might mean that in this very moment, the living God, creator of the universe, is actively holding all things together physically through an ongoing exercise of his power and that we observe the effects of that power in what we call gravity. Just wondering. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. 
He's not just the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn from among the dead. See, he was there at the beginning. In him, through him, and for him, everything was made. And he is the firstborn from among the dead, meaning he launched the new creation. God's great renewal project, redemption, renewal, the, the, the bringing of the whole creation, you and me and everything else that God made, back to its state of original intent. For, because God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, Jesus is supreme over all creation and his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for salvation. The son is. Once you were. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. We're the ones who walked away We're the ones who went hiding in the bushes when God was looking for us. And as such, we became enslaved to sin, separated from God, and subject to his wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, right at the beginning, sums up our situation well. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us now, not just some of us, We're all in the same boat. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The bad news is really bad. And this is where you could argue that possibly one of the most important words in the entire Bible is a conjunction. But the son is once you were, but now he has. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Remember the verse from last week's passage. If you weren't here last week, we talked about this in last week's sermon. Verse 12 in this same letter of Colossians chapter one. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. We unpack that, that little word qualified a little bit and, it, and it's just, it's super profound in the original language. It's not talking about, it's nothing fancy. It's talking about the simple fact that God has done something for us. You're, like you're qualified. Not because of anything you did but because of what God did for you in Jesus on the cross. Qualified. In Jesus, God has made you qualified to stand before God with no concerns. But now he has reconciled you. Reconciled. Any accountant will tell you that things are either reconciled or not. I'm a balance the checkbook to the penny kind of guy. Not really a checkbook anymore, but you, you know. You're either reconciled or you're not quite reconciled. 
you might have like one or two transactions hanging out there, you know, I'm almost there, but not quite there. But now he has reconciled you. There are no transactions left unaccounted for. There's no like finish later and quicken. It's, it's done. Nothing left for you to do. But now he has reconciled you. See, what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for you. Not just like the world in general. Not everybody else in the room as you look around thinking that they might have it together a little better than you do. This is for you right where you are in the midst of your struggles. You know them all. In the midst of your darkness, the darkness with which you struggle. You're grappling with your sinful nature as God is remaking you into the person that you'll be for eternity. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for you. The Lord to the apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. The Lord's grace is sufficient for you. It's the same for all of us. There's no other way. I mean, it has to be by God's grace because we can't do it on our own. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It is by grace you have been saved. And God's grace expressed to us most fully in Christ's sacrifice on the cross has a purpose, a goal. Look at verse 22 in the passage we read today. To present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. I, I really loved and tried to read most of what Pastor Tim Keller wrote. He had a great way of envisioning this. By God's grace and through faith in Jesus, the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus is applied to us. No, no transaction left unaccounted for. Nothing hanging out there. So let me, let me ask you this. Um, do you feel holy in God's sight? Do you feel and think of yourself as being without blemish before God? And do you hold in your heart a concrete certainty that no matter what comes in life before God, you stand free from accusation? And you know your inner dialogue. Does the script of that inner dialogue re revolve more around you, how you're doing, and what your shortcomings are? 
or around Jesus, who he is, what he did, and the sufficiency of his salvation for you. And the identity he declares you to possess. This is, of course, the and you are part. Right? The son is once you were, but now he has. And you are. And you are. There's a great spiritual analogy here. Remember the Israelites in the Old Testament? God gave them the promised land and they, they went and checked it out. It had already been given to them. All they had to do was possess it, to move in, to start living there. But they didn't because of fear. They did not occupy the space God had already given them. Well, this sounded familiar. I mean, the spiritual analogy is that in Christ, God has declared you to be a child of God, holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. The only remaining question is, are you living there? Have you moved into that land? Or might you, like every other human being, be struggling with some fear about occupying that space fully? If you are in Christ by God's grace and through faith, you are holy in God's sight, meaning spiritually pure and perfectly undefiled. You are without blemish. No scuff marks from the painful realities of life. I mean, you have, you get what I'm saying, right? This is your identity in Christ. Of course, we're scuffed up from life's hurts and things. But before God, you are without blemish spiritually. Free from accusation, you are. Declared not guilty on all counts and eternally free from any claims to the contrary. Right? We got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Otherwise, the accuser will sneak in and rev up his big fat lie machine. He has one of those, if you didn't know that. And rob us of living in the promised land, which the Lord has already given us. Right? Now, we can be masters of compartmentalization. I know I can. I know you are too. We can sit in a service like this, nod our heads, say, yeah, I believe that with all my heart and, and mean it with all our heart and really believe it. While all the while, there's another belief system operating alongside that one. That's the whole point of Colossians, right? Be rooted in Christ alone, built up in Christ alone not in the hollow and deceptive philosophies of the world. That's what Paul calls them later on in, in, in Colossians. Is it Jesus? Or is it Jesus and I got to figure this out? Or Jesus and I got a couple just transactions out there. I'll just take care of those and clean up the books and then I'll. See, so you got to understand any of that, any of that Jesus and isn't just Jesus plus a little. It's, no, Jesus. I don't want to accept what you're actually doing for me. I'll take it on my own, thanks. That's exhausting, let alone impossible. 
that road doesn't lead anywhere except to frustration. It, it's the proverb, right? There's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end leads only to death. Spiritually, that's that way. Jesus is supreme and he is sufficient for you. In the end, I am convinced that we will see that Jesus is not only all that we needed, but also all we ever wanted, desired. And all of our uh, kind of broken desires were kind of broken off of a good desire that God really wants to fulfill for us in Christ. One last thing, and then we'll land the plane here. There's a clear progression in the outline of the sermon today, right? You kind of get that. The son is, once you were, but now he has, and you are. And I've, most of the sermon has been kind of given with the assumption that we've worked our way through those steps and come to a place where we've allowed Jesus uh, to forgive us, where we've laid down our pride, you know, and said, yes, Lord, I need that. Um, I remember I've shared a story, but back in college, I wasn't a Christian, and I had friends who talked about accepting Jesus in your heart or receiving Christ or, and I, I, I just, if you, if, if you come from a completely unchurched background and people talk about, hey, accept Jesus into your heart, I'm kind of thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, what are you, what are you actually talking about? What, what Christians mean by that is a transfer of reliance. It's a trust issue. And the invitation, the great invitation of the Christian faith, the great invitation that Jesus gave to us, you know, come to me all you who are weary, weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus is inviting us to come to him and to transfer our trust for our whole life, for everything going on. Not just part of it, the whole, whole kit and caboodle, right? The whole deal. To transfer our trust from whatever it is that we've been leaning on or sitting in to Jesus and him alone. Not Jesus and this and that and the other thing. Jesus and him alone. Because he's able, that's the whole son is part. Once you were, you got to grapple with your own sin, brokenness, the fact that you cannot fix yourself. And you got, you got to let him do it. But now he has. And then you're given a whole new space in which to live. And now you are. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for who you are, for what you've done. Thank you for rescuing us from such great depths. Thank you that you've transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son you love, Jesus. Thank you for all these things. Father, wherever we are on our spiritual journeys, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us and that you would help us
help us not think about you as a religious idea. We need to know you. We need you. So would you pour out your spirit on us, meet us, help us get away from the idea that we can figure it out on our own, that we can rely on our own understanding. Help us experience you, encounter you. Help us meet you, Lord, and help us respond to you. We ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen.